Hey there, everyone. This is Greg Schutz for ReadyForTheDraft.com, and this is the Ready for the Draft podcast, episode 28 of the 2020 podcast series, getting you ready for the NFL draft, which is still set to begin April 23rd, no longer in Las Vegas, Nevada. The site is yet to be determined. And do we know just how many days this draft is going to be? Is it going to be three days? Is it going to be seven days? There's talk that we may take the draft and really push it out over the course of, of seven days, which really makes things awkward when we talk about, ah, oh, this guy's a day two pick. Well, day two pick means second or third round. But this year, it, you know, we're in uh, unprecedented times right now. So it really, we no longer have Las Vegas. And Las Vegas, really, that was going to be the spectacle you know, you're talking about the backdrop of the Bellagio fountains. Guys are going to be boated out to the stage once their name has been called. And we really don't get that. So I think what the league is trying to do is trying to figure out the best way possible to really make it as much of a spectacle as possible, given the circumstances. So if we say day two pick, you're not talking about second round. It's still the second and third round. And we're talking about day three, early day three. You're talking about the fourth, maybe into the fifth round, late day three, sixth into the seventh round. So it, it, it is a little awkward when we talk about that, especially if they do end up expanding it over the course of seven days. But really, when we're talking about the traditional sense of the draft, that's really what we're talking about here. Um now, I preface this with all of my podcasts, since we've had all of the sheltering in place and the social distancing and such, people are at home and they need an outlet. They need something to talk about. They need to have something that takes their mind off of things. And why not talk about football? Why not talk about the NFL draft? I know the GMs, they were trying to push it back another month. And when you think about it, all the social distancing and the sheltering at home and everything else, we, we don't have pro days. So a lot of the guys that had a chance to compete at the comp, you know, that had a chance to compete at the combine opted for their pro days. Unless they have one of those early pro pro days, like, Oh, you did. Um, you're kind of out of luck at this point, but the GM's also having a lot of the, the psychological evaluations and the interviews and things like it just makes it a lot more difficult. Really not sure how that really comes into play. And I think they wanted more time to be able to do those evaluations, but the league got, got its way for the most part from the way it seems. And April 23rd is going to be a day. But again, I want to make sure that, you know, there is something to talk about, that there is something to look forward to. And uh, why not have a debate over, over the NFL draft? Who's going to be going in round number one uh, on through. And if you listen to the last podcast, I talked quite a bit about how my mock draft if, if you give me time and you give me, you know, allow me to look at it, I'll break it down and I'll overanalyze it and look at it all over again. I've already had to make changes since the, the first podcast that we did over the course of all of the uh, NFL divisions, taking a look at each division and how the free agency impacted the, you know, would impact the draft, impact each of the teams and their team needs. Pod or the mock draft looks a lot different than it did with that first uh, podcast, and I believe that was episode 25 was the very first one. We did the NFC East, moved on to the AFC East. Now, uh, NFC East was was the last podcast, episode 27. We'll be talking about the uh, AFC North here in, in just a moment. But I made sure to take the laptop, put it away, not even take a look at my mock draft. Because look, you know I, I'm going to continue to look at things, look at the players, 
really, you know, try to analyze and say, is this really a good fit? Um, you know, is this player a, a second round pick or a third round pick? You know, I do feel pretty comfortable about my first round. And, and look, if you look at my, my, mock, my mock draft from last year, uh, which is on the website, the very first mock draft, which was done in January, it actually ends up you know panning out a lot better than my last mock draft. And the reason being is, you know, I, I just I went with, you know, off of my gut, off of my instinct. And then I got, you know, really the over analysis really got the better of me because I looked at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as an example. And I said, you know what? There's no way that they're going to go Devin White because they paid all this attention to the linebacking core in free agency. And what do they do? They take Devin White. That's who I had going to the Bucks in round number one of my very first mock draft. How about the Raiders? Cleveland Furl. I said, this guy is absolutely going to be a, a fit for the Raiders. Had him there at number four in my first mock draft. Ended up having him move down the board. Still had him going to the Raiders, but much later, where does he go? Number four overall. So I really have to trust my, my gut with this and not let any of these other outside factors really weigh in and, and really overanalyze things. You know, I, I do think you do have to pay attention to free agency a little bit. It's a team like like New Orleans, for example. If you're talking about New Orleans and you're looking at their team, everyone has them taking a receiver. They need to have a running mate for Michael Thomas. Now look, they brought in Emmanuel Sanders. And Emmanuel Sanders, for me, I look at him and I, I think he's a, a reliable veteran, but not necessarily a guy who's going to be a long-term answer there as the, the running mate for, for Michael Thomas. You, know, you need to have that that duo, but at the same time, what I'm looking at too is this pickup and acquisition may allow New Orleans to focus on other parts of their, their team, other need areas. And I'm looking at that linebacker position, and, and there are some definite needs there. You know, and so what do I do? You know, I'm looking at Patrick Queen. I'm looking at, at uh, Kenneth Murray, a couple of guys who can play inside. They can play outside, really wherever that need is. You know, they lost AJ Klein. You know, Kiko Alonso took a, a pay cut and he's back. Um, actually, I think I got the wrong team there. Um, but you know, really, when you look at that linebacking core, they need another guy. Um, you know, they have Demario Davis sitting there um, at one of the outside linebacker positions, and I you know. <laughs> I looked at it and I said, all right, this is one of those picks to where I can look at it and say, look, you know, the, the, the saints, I think they could end up moving, you know, passing on a receiver in round one, take advantage of the, the depth of the wide receiver class and be able to pick up a guy in, in round number two or possibly even round number three and still make an impact and still be a guy that can be a running mate, uh, you know, for, for Michael Thomas. And I actually was right. It was Kiko Alonso there at middle linebacker. I had to make sure I looked that up and had that right off the top of my head. Um, but that's really, you know, when I look at the draft, I have to, to really weigh in what and, and decide what some of these uh, off-field acquisitions, uh, the, the free agency acquisitions, what that really means. When you lose guys, obviously that creates a huge hole. You bring in some of these guys, some of these veterans, and really what does that mean? Dallas brought in HaHa Clinton Dix at safety. But I, I really see him as a one one year rental. I don't see him being a guy that's going to be a long term answer for Dallas at the safety position. So what do I do? I got Grant Delpit in the second round to partner up with with Xavier Woods on the back end of the Dallas Cowboy defense. So it's one of those things to where you can't always judge that 
free agency, um, you know, completely with it. And I, I think for me, I, I have to really be cognizant of that, knowing that that's really what happens for me when I'm evaluating the draft. You know, I've I've grown up watching the draft. I, I, I've done, you know, this is probably, let's see, started it in 2000 when I was at USC, my last year at USC. Uh, I worked for the TV station. I was given a story. Here are all the USC uh, draft eligible prospects and determine where they're going to go in the draft. And I did that. You know, I had so much fun with it. I went ahead and mocked the first round of that, that 2000 draft and the rest was history. 20 years later, I've still been putting together my mock drafts and I'm having a blast doing it. You know, and I think the history of the draft, understanding teams tendencies and understanding where the fits would be, that's part of the fun of it. You know, that's really part of the, you know, that puzzle really putting things together. So I try to look at things a little bit differently. You know, I, I don't have a, a scale when you're talking about, you know, the players and the analysis and, and you're working things through a lot of it is going to be my gut. You know, over the 20 years that I've really been doing this, I watch over 200 plus college football games each and every year. Um, you know, I my my DVR and my wife, you know, I don't know how my wife, you know, really puts up with me with all the all the football games that I watch, but you know, by the end of the season, I feel pretty good about who the player is and where they really stand, what their draft stock is and how they might translate to the NFL. So I feel pretty good about that. So let's take a look at the AFC North and really see you know, where I have things shaken out. And uh, you know, after after April, when we start looking at the, the post-draft, we'll see how I did. So we're gonna go ahead and go in order, you know, in terms of the first round picks, really take a look at uh, first Cincinnati, then Cleveland, uh, and Baltimore. Now Pittsburgh traded away their, their first round pick, so we'll save them for last. They uh, do have a second rounder, so we'll we'll get into Pittsburgh's draft last. Uh, but without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into Cincinnati's draft and really take a look at things. You know, Zach Taylor sitting there as the head coach. You know, 2019 really was a season of transition. Uh, 16 seasons. Marvin Lewis was there in Cincy, leading the Bengals to the playoffs seven times, including five straight from 2011 to 2015. Uh, but sub 500 records in each of his final three seasons. Zach Taylor comes in, um, you know, really has his work cut out for himself. You know, had a six and ten record, um, and then ultimately in 20, you know, that, in 2018, um, you know, Andy Dalton in 2019 really, really struggled. Um, this is a guy who who started 133 games in his 10-year career with the Bengals. Struggles in the playoffs were apparent. Only 55.7% of his passes were completed, throwing just one touchdown to six interceptions over five wildcard losses from 2011 to 2014. Uh, you know, Taylor comes in from Sean McVay's staff after a 2-14 and record in 2019. I really think the Bengals, with that number one overall pick, I think Zach Taylor is going to look to find his quarterback of the future. You know, Dalton's also in the final year of his contract. Releasing him would save $17.7 million. They haven't done it yet. But, uh, you know, everything points to Joe Burrow. Now, look, if Tua Tagovailoa were healthy and there weren't any issues with that hip, we could be talking about Tua as the number one overall pick. But, you know, with those injury concerns, I think, especially with the, the season that Joe Burrow had, um, you know, college football fans really witnessed one of the most dynamic seasons from a quarterback in, in quite some time. You know, so when you look at Joe Burrow and what he did, you know, he started off there 
as a transfer from Ohio State, didn't get the starting job uh, battling with with Dwayne Haskins, moves on to LSU and was a guy who was really seen as a, a late round pick or possibly even a, a priority free agent. And what does he do his senior season? Well, you know, Joe Brady comes in as the passing game coordinator, over 5,600 yards to, to lead the country in passing yards, completion percentage at 76.3, uh, pass efficiency at 202, passing touchdowns at 60, and swept all the major postseason awards, including a record-breaking Heisman Trophy victory, just a really a landslide victory over the runner-up Jalen Hurts. Um, you know, dominated the college football playoff. I mean, 68.1% of his passes were completed, 956 yards, 12 touchdowns, and no interceptions. I mean, he had seven touchdowns in the first half against OU. Uh, just really staggering what what Joe uh, uh, Joe Burrow was able to do there. And uh, you know, he's an Ohio native. A lot of people are talking about, well, what does he really want to go? Uh, play in Cincinnati. He's already come out and said, "Look, you know, I'll, I'll play wherever I get drafted." And Ohio, you know, kid comes home and gets to play for you know a a quarterback coach uh, who actually played quarterback at Nebraska and is in the the same you know coaching tree as as Sean McVay. Why not? Why wouldn't you want to do that? And when you watch Joe Burrow play, the poise, I think, is the first thing that really jumps out. You, know, you never see this kid rattled. Even when in the national title game against Clemson, you know, Clemson was really getting to him the first you know, couple of possessions. Um, they were putting a lot of pressure. He never, not once, looked rattled. You know, Ice water in his veins. You know, this is a guy who sees the entire field, reads the defense, really knows where to go with the football at all times. I think one of the things that you really see is he, he throws the receivers open. You know, receivers, when the ball goes out of his hand, receivers aren't always going to be open. And uh, he makes sure that he's throwing to a spot. Those receivers get, uh, uncover themselves, make a play on the football, and get down the field. You know, that's another thing. The ball placement and the anticipation. Being able to hit a receiver in stride and allow him to make plays up the field without having to break stride, without having to uh, adjust to a poorly thrown football you know that was one of the things that made them made the the LSU Tigers so lethal was yes he had a a stacked wide receiver core with with Justin Jefferson uh who I have as my number uh, 21 overall pick to Philly uh in the draft uh Thaddeus Moss was his tight end I have him coming off off the board um in round number 4 to the Saints um you know gosh uh you know Terrace Marshall and then arguably the number one wideout in next year's draft class, Jamar Chase. Uh, you know the list goes on and on. You know in terms of their weapons, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, the running back, was the third leading receiver in uh, in that receiving core, and he was a running back. But you look at him and and just the the poise. You know I mentioned that previously, but you know his his pocket presence, his ability to feel the rush and be able to manipulate the pocket. Um, you know, I thought that was one of the things that really stood out as well. When you watch him play, he doesn't have to necessarily have you know a lot of the elusiveness in in the pocket. You know, he reminds me a lot of Aaron Rodgers with this ability to to slide either to his left or right. Some of those subtle movements to be able to buy some time, allow his receivers to to uncover coming across the field. Um, but you also see him, he'll step up, he'll move to his left or move to his right. Really, you know, you see a lot of Aaron Rodgers in him with the way that he plays. Um, but here's the thing, he's also a tremendous athlete. He knows when to pull pull the ball and and tuck it and run. You know, he'll he'll watch and read the defense. And if the defenders are turning their backs to him and the middle of the field is wide open, he's not afraid to, to pull the ball and tuck it and run. 
But at the same time, he's not some of those running, not like some of the running quarterbacks who they 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 want to try to run the ball and they get themselves into trouble at the next level. I don't see Joe Burrow doing that. He t- picks his, his his shots, and really, it's when he sees an opening and is able to rush for a significant amount of yardage. That's when he's really going to pull the football and, and take off. Really excellent decision making. And uh, look, you know, 47% of his carries led to an LSU first down a season ago. I mean, that's something that I, I think is is impressive. You know, his ability to keep his eyes locked in down the field despite the pressure uh, really allows him to see the the, the throwing lanes, but also the running lanes uh, open up. And if there's nobody to throw to, uh, you know, looking for a way to move the ball down the field, very decisive in his movements and very decisive with his arm strength as well, or I mean, with his, his passing. Doesn't have the, the arm strength that some of the other guys have on the roster. Uh, I'm sorry, in this quarterback class, I should say. Um, but he, he he's very sound with what he you know his decision making process, and you know I, I think when you look at him his his development in just a one year span from his junior year to his senior year there at LSU, um, you know that at the helm of a major FBS program that has to get Zach Taylor excited about the possibilities in 2020 and beyond. You know they they brought back AJ Green as a as a franch, uh, franchise tag. You've got Tyler Boyd. You also have. Uh, John Ross, the speedster on the outside. If Green and, and Ross can stay healthy, you really have something there. You have a lot to work with for Joe Burrow. And then you have Joe Mixon, the, the running back out of the backfield as well. I, I think you've got some weapons there. I think you need to make sure that you, you protect him, you get him some additional weapons. And I think you know Cincinnati's going to be in, in much better shape than a lot of people are predicting. People are looking at Cincy going, yeah, it's still it's Cincy. But I think Zach Taylor, especially if he can get Joe Burrow in there, it's going to change change the attitude, I'm telling you, there of the Bengals. The one thing I will say, though, for Joe Burrow, LSU, their mascot, the Tigers. You look at the Cincinnati, also the Bengals. What are Bengals? They're Bengal Tigers. There's already talk that that Joe Burrow may be called the Tiger King. If I'm if I'm Joe Burrow, I think I might have to uh, to to veto that nickname. You know, named. You know, it's too closely linked to to Joe Exotic. I think Joe Burrow may want to back off of that one just a little bit. Hopefully, that never does stick with him. But uh, moving on to the second round, number thirty three overall. And look, I mentioned that they need to protect their quarterback, and they absolutely do. Um, you know, we saw that with, with you know with Baker Mayfield, who we're going to talk about here in just a little bit. You know, Baker ended up running around. Um, you know, really um, was gun shy in the pocket. And you, you saw that time and time again, you know, with Cincy, um, you know, Andy Dalton towards the end of his his uh, his tenure there in Cincy, you know, really started uh, getting hit a lot more uh, back there in the pocket. Look, the offensive line gave up 48 sacks uh, this past season. When you look at this this roster, Cordy Glenn is gone. But you know Jonah Williams is moving in at the right tackle position. I'm sorry, at the left tackle position. You know he also has the versatility to play inside a guard if he needs to. But uh, you know at the end of the day, when I look at it, uh, you know I'm looking at Billy Price at, at left guard. Uh, they brought in Xavier Suafilo to to man the right guard position. Um, so I, I think really what they need to do, they've got Bobby Hart's in there at right tackle, but I think they need an upgrade at the right tackle position. And, and Austin Jackson out of USC, look, you know, this is a guy who could very well end up being a, a left tackle. And you could very well end up seeing them move Austin Jackson to left tackle, Jonah Williams to right tackle, because Jonah Williams, remember, has experience at both tackle positions. 
uh, Jackson, 6'5", 322 pounds um, out of USC, the junior. And, and look, you know there, there are a lot of things to like about Austin Jackson. When he gets out and fires out of his stance, beats the guy off – uh, off the line and really is allowed to to set up you know his kick slide takes an excellent angle really light on his feet has long arms um you know his athleticism is what you really see but he got overpowered um you know quite a bit by some of the edge rushers especially AJ Epinesa in that holiday bowl if you watch that game you know he did a really good job for a lot of that game against AJ Epinesa and, and I was really beating him out of out of the stance he really had to fire off quickly and uh, set up and really take a good angle. You know, if you take one of those those angles down the line and really those horizontal kick slides, I really have never been a fan of those because essentially what you're doing is if that uh, edge rusher is able to get up the field in a hurry, you've lost any leverage that you would have had there on the outside. Austin Jackson, you know, when he... What was getting beaten? It was one of those things to where uh, Epinesa was was winning and really attacking that that uh, outside shoulder, and Jackson would try to force him up the field. But the thing with it was was uh, Epinesa would overpower him, really end up taking away that that edge, really getting more of a soft edge coming off there, um, you know, beating him to the to the inside as well. And and I, I think it's one of those things he really needs to improve some of that core strength overall. But you know. There is a chance that Austin Jackson could end up being a first rounder. I think he has that type of athleticism, but I think he he's still there's still a, enough rawness there to his game that I would kind of back off of Austin Jackson in round number one. But you know, top of round two really makes a lot of sense there. Um, you know, I think moving on in round number three, Tyler Eifert. You know, he had an injury-riddled career there in, in Cincinnati. He's no longer the tight end. Uh, you know, you have C.J. Uzuma, uh, Drew Sample at, at tight end. For Cincinnati, I think they really need to find another pass catcher, um, you know, a, a decent athlete that can be out there and and be a weapon up the seam. Um, and look, you're also going to need a guy who's going to be able to hang back and uh, and be a, a nice run blocker, also be able to protect the quarterback a little bit. And I'm looking at Bryson Hopkins out of Purdue. You know, now Bryson Hopkins, uh, you know, he's six foot. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, six foot four, two hundred forty-five pounds. Ran a four-six-six forty at the combine. Um, not explosive uh, per se, but you know, I, I thought that you know his, his vertical speed uh, is definitely there. Um, you know, remember Rob Gronkowski ran a four-six-eight at the combine, so pretty comparable there. Um, you know, when you watch Bryson Hopkins play again, you know, a weapon. Uh, Getting up the seam really has a knack for getting open. Um, I think he he displays some some nice soft hands in the passing game as well. Um, you know, in his career there at Purdue, um, you know, had a breakout 2019 season. You know, 61 catches, 830 yards, and uh, and seven touchdowns on the year. And, and when you're talking about complete tight ends, you know, I mentioned that that Cole Komet was the the most complete tight end, but I think number two has to be Bryson Hopkins. And uh, I, I kind of gave gave the nod to Komet. You know, I, I think he's a little bit better blocker than Hopkins, but I think Hopkins probably will end up being uh, the better pass catcher, at least in terms of being dynamic down the football field. Um, so I, I think getting a weapon there at the tight end position. Look, I think. Hopkins can come in and start on this roster right away. So then if you move to round number four, and when you look at this roster, round number four for Cincinnati, um, you know, I'm looking at their edge rushers. They have Carlos Dunlap, uh, Sam Hubbard as their starters, uh, Carl Lawson, you know, there, there's Andrew Brown um, as their, their core uh, backups. 
And, you know, I, I think Cincinnati needs to really focus on their depth. You know, and I, I think that's really going to be one of the big things that, uh, you know, that we're going to be seeing in the draft at some point is, you know, Cincinnati making a move, finding somebody that they can bring in. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on SpotTrack.com right now because I want to go ahead and pull up uh, what the contract status looks like for these guys. So, um, you know, Lawson and uh, Brown are only signed through 2020. Dunlap is 31 years of age. He's only signed through 2021. Sam Hubbard also 2021. So, you know, I, I think, you know, the time is now, time is right to, to get a – um, get some pass rushers, you know, get another pass rusher in there uh, and on the roster. And I've, I've got uh, Jonathan Garvin, you know, uh, out, of, out of Miami, a guy who I was a little surprised that he came out a year early as a, as a junior, um, but we'll get into, into it just a, just a minute. I think he has some pass rush capability. Now, I, I mentioned, you know, Dunlap and, and Hubbard, you know, they combined for 17 and a half sacks and, uh, you know, Geno Howard, or I'm sorry, Geno Atkins working uh, on the interior of that line had four and a half sacks as well. Carl Lawson with five. And uh, those were really your four pass rushers that really did any damage in the backfield. You got to get another guy that can really put pressure on the quarterback and strike some fear coming off the edge. And uh, Jonathan Garvin, here's the thing. I think in the fourth round, you can get a guy who's going to have some of that uh, potential and not really have to worry about him necessarily making an impact year one. I think he'll be a rotational guy and a guy that can ultimately step in, especially if Carl Lawson or Andrew Brown is is off the roster in uh, in 2021. Now, you know, I, you look at, at Garvin, really a breakout 2018, had 17 tackles for loss and, and five and a half sacks. And look, you know, he he uh, had 60 tackles, very active at the defensive end position. Um, you know, in 2019, uh, saw production in terms of the tackles way down with uh, with 37, uh, nine tackles for loss, five sacks. Um, so really a, a drop of sorts in production. Um, you really want to hopefully get him back to that 2018 form. And I think getting him into an NFL locker room, getting a defensive line coach there in the league, uh, really going to help with that. So in our, our previous mock drafts with this uh, road show or tour of the uh, NFL divisions for uh, the the free agency and what that really did for the draft and, and for the teams and, and the rosters, um, we've only done the first four rounds, but I actually went ahead and finished up my fifth round. Uh, it's not on the website just yet. Uh, I did update the website though. So I do have my updated mock draft on there. The first four rounds ready for the draft.com. Uh, fifth round will be on there shortly. And honestly, when you look at this team, you know, they did sign Mike Thomas as another receiver, but uh, you've got green, you've got Ross, you got Boyd. Green and Ross have their injury history. Uh, Alex Erickson is a, an excellent possession receiver then Auden Tate uh, the bigger tight uh, you know tight end type uh, receiver uh, big bodied guy I'm looking at them possibly getting another another receiver in there is Mike Thomas really going to be the answer really don't know what's going to happen there but I'm looking at a guy like James Prochet for for whatever reason for me I'm just looking at the raw at uh, you know the fit and looking at, at what Zach Taylor wants to do offensively 
and uh, you know Joe Burrow. I think James Prochet can end up being a favorite target of Joe Burrow's. And, and Prochet, if you haven't seen him play there at SMU, um, you, you gotta gotta find his highlights. This guy, you know, has a flair for the acrobatic, excellent hands, back to back, you know, thousand yard seasons. Nearly had back to back twelve hundred yard seasons. Was just one yard shy of the twelve hundred yard mark in twenty eighteen. But look, over three hundred catches, uh, thirty nine hundred forty nine yards. 39 touchdowns, including double-digit touchdowns in each of the last two seasons. Uh, and he's a guy that I think in any other year, other than this year with this this depth at the receiver position, he'd probably be a third-round pick. Um, you know, maybe talking about him a lot more. We just haven't really talked about him because, well, frankly, uh, unfortunately, he kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. But you know, when I look at, at James Prochet, 5'11", 201, he's one of those guys who is just so difficult to to cover and I talked about Cooper Cup in the last podcast and how he at the the Senior Bowl wasn't the fastest guy in the world, and I don't think Prochet is the fastest guy either, but the savviness with the route running, his ability to win off the line, nobody could cover uh, Cooper Cup, and I felt the same way with with James Prochet. You know, this is a guy who just knows how to get open, and and that's one of the things I think Joe Burrow you know, if, if you can get yourself open, if you can uncover yourself, Joe Burrow is going to get you the football. And I think that that's really a nice match, um, there for the Bengals. Uh, and especially in round number five, I think that'd be a steal. So moving on to, to Cleveland, the Browns and, uh, look, you know, Cleveland in 2019, this was supposed to be the year you have Baker Mayfield coming off, a you know, a, a impressive rookie performance. And, you, you bring in, uh, you know, a lot of the different free agents and, uh, you know, you look at it. Okay. So Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, teaming with, with Jarvis Landry, you got Nick Chubb running the football prime for a breakout season. Uh, Miles Garrett, Joe Schobert, Denzel Ward really uh, running what looked like a top 10 defense, but unfortunately uh, one of the more disappointing teams expectation expectations were really high for Freddie Kitchens after what he was able to do as Mayfield's offensive coordinator the season before, but he looked, you know, overmatched um, as a head coach managed just six wins uh, drafted in the top 10 yet again. Uh, and look, you know, the dog pound, they're thirsty for success. And really in order for, for Baker Mayfield to take that next step forward as a quarterback, he has to be protected. And I mentioned it earlier, but, you know, too often he was vacating the pocket early, way too early. And a lot of times I saw it all over Twitter, you know, and social media where Baker Mayfield had an opportunity to step up, to buy time, find a guy down the, down the field. And instead he was rolling out, running for his life, either to his left or right. And that's really one of the issues that Baker Mayfield had, even when he had time, he was vacating the pocket. And it was really because he didn't trust his offensive line. You know, he had Greg Robinson at left tackle and Greg Robinson, look, you know, he's got the legal troubles now. Uh, he's not, he's not going to be back. You know, Chris Hubbard struggled there at the right side uh, with speed coming off the edge. And, and look, you know, they, you knew they were serious when they brought in Jack Conklin and free agency. That's a huge signing, but the left side still needs help. You know, that's really where, where you have to turn your attention. If I'm, if I'm the Cleveland Browns is the left side of that line. And look, you know, I think one of the four top tackles is going to come off the board here. Um, I, I think, you know, really what, what you're looking at is, you know, what are, what are the Giants going to do? If the Giants end up taking Jedrick Wills, then I think this pick 
Um, you know, could potentially, because Arizona is more than likely going to take a, a, an offensive tackle as well. They need to protect Kyler Murray. Um, so that could potentially be, uh, especially with, you know, DJ Humphreys at the left tackle position, that could be Tristan Wirfs. You could also put Mekhi Becton there. Um, but if the Giants end up taking Isaiah Simmons, as I have them pegged to do right now, then I'm looking at this pick. I think it feels more and more like Mekhi Becton is just the right fit. And, and look, Baker Mayfield is used to playing with a mammoth, mammoth dude playing at left tackle. He had Orlando Brown Jr. playing there uh, in his days with the Sooners. And Mekhi Becton, look, he's also used to a guy who moves in and out of the pocket. He played with with Lamar Jackson there at Louisville. Um, Baker Mayfield is a guy who you know will want to move around, move the pocket, and uh, you know buy some time and. You know, you have to have an offensive line that, that's used to, to, to blocking for a guy who is a mobile quarterback. And, and Becton, I mentioned how big he is. I mean, 6'7", 368 pounds. I mean, good Lord. You know, this guy's just huge. And, and if you've seen him on social media, he's sitting there pushing a truck down the uh, down the street and just, you know, getting that those short, choppy steps and really get generating the movement. Um, you know, there's really, you know, not a shock. I mean, a guy that's that big... Um, generating that type of movement. Now, uh, Dane Brugler, one of the NFL draft experts, I really liked his comparison, so I wanted to give a shout-out to him, um, talked about uh, Bryant McKinney and, and the comparison there. You know, now, Bryant McKinney uh, was the seventh overall selection of the tw- uh, 2002 draft. Uh, in terms of his size, very comparable to Beckton's, ran a, a 5-1-3 40 at the combine as well for a guy that size. Now Beckton, what did he do at the combine? He ran himself a, a 51040. Um and, and really what happened there, that kind of cut his, his combine shut out, you know, uh short due to an injury. But you know, I think running a 51040 at 6'7, 368 pounds, I think that really tells you the type of athleticism that this guy has. Um you know, and, and not to mention, you know, the enormous size allows him to engulf defenders at the point of attack. Kickout blocks are legendary. Firing out of his stance, really just showing so much power that he's driving guys, picking them up and just kind of throwing them off, you know, throwing them to the ground, driving guys off their feet. Um, you know, really wants to punish his man on the edge, looking to finish his blocks. But, you know, as I said, the, the surprising agility for a man his size, uh, you know, his zone blocks in the running game, decent footwork in his pass, uh, pass sets on the outside. Even if an edge rusher beats him off the ball, just his sheer size alone forces the rusher to really make a wider arc, which allows him to use his length, that enormous wingspan that he has, to really drive the man out of the play. Um, you know, I think the biggest concern right now for him is is his weight. Can he be disciplined enough to keep his uh, keep that from being an issue? Pad level can also be a concern at, at, at six seven. You know that can get a little bit high at times, and, and you know really at, at that point his hands get, end up getting a lot higher as well. So he's striking either he's striking down on on a guy or the pad you know the hands come up a little bit higher, and he really loses a lot of that leverage and that momentum and and that effectiveness of that power that he has. So that a naturally high center of gravity, you know, it's easy for him to be off balance as well. So he needs to make sure that he remains patient, remains with that that low base. And uh, if he fires off the ball and stays low, this guy can really be a, a beast there on the outside, protecting Baker Mayfield's blind side. Uh, I think Cleveland has to do that first and foremost in this draft. Now, moving on to round number two, 
if you're looking at Cleveland and you look at that that line, yes, they they signed Andrew Billings there um, to back up Larry Ogunjobi on one side. You've got Sheldon Richardson on the other side, and we're talking about the defensive tackle position. But you know, I, I think when you're looking at depth and you're looking up front for for Cleveland, I think that's one of the things. It starts in the trenches, right? You know, I think you know my my dad was one who always said, "You're only as good as your offensive and defensive lines." I think there's a lot of uh, you know a lot of truth to that. You know, and I'm looking at Ogan Joby. He's a, a a free agent at the end of this season. Sheldon Richardson will be a free agent at the end of next season, and uh, they need to make sure that they are stout at the point of attack, stout in the middle of that of that line. And I'm looking at a guy like like Ross Blacklock. You know, a twitched up guy there at the defensive tackle position coming out of TCU, uh, coming out a year early. Um, but the thing with Blacklock, you know, that was so impressive was a guy who can bend, um, you know, for, for a guy his size, you know, at the defensive tackle position, you know, there's, there's game film. You know, if you look at some of his highlights, being able to shoot off the ball, dip that inside shoulder, you know, on an interior lineman and, and really show, show some of that bend and that ankle flexion to get underneath the pad level and, and run really a tight arc coming off that edge to the to the quarterback um, and he's you know rushing off of an interior lineman um, you know at 64305 during the season showed up at the combine a little bit lighter um, at 63290 um, ran a 4940 there at the combine um, you know and so when you look at and talk about athleticism he definitely has that and, you know, when you look at, at some of his playmaking ability there for TCU, uh, 15 and a half tackles for loss and five and a half sacks in just two seasons there with TCU. Um, I really think that this is a guy that can fit in. I think his best days are ahead of him. You know, I think he's just scratching the surface on his potential. And uh, he, look, he doesn't have to start right away. You do have Ogunjobi. You do have Richardson sitting there ahead of him. But, um, you know, I think this is a guy who can be primed for uh, a breakout season in 2021. I wouldn't expect him to. I, I think he'll be more of a rotational guy starting out. But that athleticism and the potential – I wouldn't take him in round number one. I had him kind of flirted with putting him in round number one with a couple of teams, but I think you save him for, for round two. I think Cleveland would really have something here with him. Um, you know, they're at the the top half of, uh, of round number two, uh, 41 no overall. So then Cleveland's next pick is in round number three, and they have three third round selections. And I, I'm actually eyeballing a guy who could be a, you know, it could be a, a 3-4 outside linebacker. He's a little undersized, 6'3", 248 pounds, and that's Alex Highsmith. But when you look at this, uh, the defensive the defensive end position, you've got Miles Garrett. Obviously, we know the talent that he is. Olivier Vernon is sitting there on the outside as well. Chad Thomas and Brian Cox are really the, the other situational guys that are there on the, on the edge as well. And, uh, you know, there are some concerns. Uh, when you look at that that line, uh, when you talk about a guy like uh, like Olivier Vernon, you know he's uh, 29 years of age. He'll be a free agent at the end of the season, so his long term commitment to the Browns really is in, in doubt and in question. So you're looking for a pass rusher, and, and what I like so much about Alec, uh, Alex Highsmith, he's one of the higher rated um, group of five guys on my. Uh, on my own draft board, and, and the re- reason being is this guy's always been a terror for for de- for offensive lines and making plays in the backfield. So quick off the ball and able to shoot into the backfield as a junior, 18 and a half tackles for loss, 60 tackles. 
but he only had three sacks. So this was a guy who was really making a lot of plays in the backfield, but wasn't really getting home to the quarterback. What does he do in 20, uh, 2019? He really develops uh, some pass rush moves and the instincts to get after the quarterback. And uh, 21 and a half tackles for loss, 15 sacks on the year uh, to go along with 75 tackles. Very athletic. You know, he's playing the defensive end position there for, for Charlotte. And, and I think Alex Highsmith, you put him in there. And, and ultimately, if he's playing alongside mile or opposite Miles Garrett, I think, you know, that's something that, you know, I, I think he can make an impact year one. And uh, if Olivier Vernon moves on, you've definitely got a guy who can move in there and take over his spot. I think he, he has the, the build to pack on some size and still not lose his, his athleticism. You know, he lined up with the linebackers. Um, I'm sorry. No, he actually lined up with the, with the defensive ends um, at the combine ran a four, seven And uh, you know, I think he's got, He's got really good athleticism. Um, I think he can learn from Olivier Vernon and ultimately take over if, if, if Vernon does move on. So staying in round number three, and I mentioned you know Cleveland has three uh, third-round selections. Uh, they had 74 overall, which was their pick, and then they select again at number 87 overall. This is the pick from uh, New England, and... I'm actually looking at a receiver for them in, in, at this point. Now, you're saying, well, they've got Jarvis Landry and they've got Odell Beckham Jr. Why would you do that? Well, you know, Rashard Higgins is no longer on the roster. They've got Taiwan Taylor, uh, you know, Damian Ratley. Um, you know, the, the whole experiment with Antonio Caldwell didn't work out. Um, so what, what, what do you do there? And I'm actually looking at K.J. Hamler. A lot of people think that K.J. Hamler could potentially be a first-rounder. The drops really scare me. This is a guy who isn't a natural pass catcher. He's not a guy who's going to go up and attack the football in the air. But I'm looking at him in round number three. He has the athleticism to make plays down the football field. I think he's worth a shot in round three. You go any any earlier, and I think you know you're you're bound to be disappointed. Five nine, 178 pounds, uh, and again, very athletic, very explosive. There for Penn State was the favorite target of Sean Clifford, uh, the quarterback there, and you know only played two seasons. You know he's a redshirt sophomore coming out, and uh, you know Hamler. Let's see this past season. Hamler, uh, 56 catches. Uh, 904 yards, eight touchdowns in his career, 16.9 yards per reception. Uh, a guy who could just be very explosive. I think you put him in the slot, especially when you're, you're talking about some of these receivers that, that he has uh, in uh, Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry. You put a guy in the slot with the speed of KJ Hamler, allow him to go to work there on the inside. And uh, that may free some things up for Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry. If you put the focus on those two guys, then uh, K.J. Hamler is going to have to prove that he has the hands uh, to be able to to be that type of target to take some of that pressure off of those guys. Because look, if you continue to cover those guys on the outside, then you've got your slot receiver and Hamler with the speed getting vertical and uh, really stretching things you know up the seam. Um, that's going to open up you know, passing lanes when it's all said and done. So I think K.J. Hamler would be a nice pick there for Cleveland in round number three. And then uh, the final pick of Cleveland, number 97 overall, one of the compensatory selections, got it from Houston. And uh, I think they continue the, the look at that offensive line. And look, you know, we, I, I mentioned that um, Baker Mayfield was really – 
running for his life a lot of times. And I'm looking at the interior of that line and Joel Batonio at left guard, Wyatt Teller at right guard. They're projected as the starters. Uh, Austin Corbett, you know, was traded to the Rams. They got him um, really was kind of a disappointment. I was expecting him to be the next Joel Batonio. Didn't really pan out that way. Um, you know, I, I think you need to get another guard in there to challenge those two. And, and uh, I'm looking at Robert Hunt, out of Louisiana. Well, this is a guy who you know, generates a ton of movement as a, a tackle for uh, the Raging Cajuns. Uh, he's 6'5", 323 pounds, and, and a guy who I just think he's a you know a nice. He's he's not the uh, offensive tackle. You know, I, I think he can definitely be a starter early in his career, moving inside to the guard position. And um, I'm looking at him. Th- that was a team that had three. Um, talented running backs and he was really the the guy that kind of paved the way he and Kevin Dotson the the guard who I think is going to be a fifth round pick um you know they had uh Raymond Calais they had uh uh Trey Regis and Elijah Mitchell uh Calais is going to be in this year's draft Regis and Mitchell will be in next year's draft uh and so with that trio of running backs you're running behind Hunt this is a guy who I think is is really sound in the running game uh, I don't think he has the athleticism laterally to be uh to take care of the speed rushers off the edge in the passing game so I you know I, I'm looking at that that tackle position I think that kind of rules things out but you put him there at guard and allow him to go to work uh, be physical at the point of attack. I think that's really where his home is going to be. And I like that pick for Cleveland there in uh, in round number three towards the end of that round. And then finally looking at round number four. And, you know, I had initially had this pick going around earlier, um, but you're looking at the middle of that line. And yes, they picked up BJ Goodson and, and Sione Takitaki is, is sitting there at middle linebacker as well. But uh, you can't really replace Joe Schobert. You know, Joe Schobert was a guy coming in from Wisconsin. He was a fifth round pick, and you know all he did was was just ball out. This was a guy, you know, just a you know, Pro Bowl season, um, getting after the quarterback. He was a tackling machine, uh, dropping back into coverage as well. Could do a little bit of everything, and that's really what Willie Gay Jr. was able to do for for Mississippi State. You know, he definitely has those off field issues. Um, you know, missed eight games and uh you know he really has to answer for that but i'm looking at him and i'm looking at this this defense and uh, you bring a guy like like gay in and as long as he can keep his nose clean uh and not get into any trouble you know this is a tremendous athlete 44640 at the combine bench press uh 225 21 times which was one of the higher numbers of among the linebackers 39 and a half inch vertical leap at 61 and 243 pounds definitely a tremendous athlete there's no doubt about that i mentioned the issues off field that he's going to have to answer to but it's production look you know he only played in 5 games um, but in those five games, 28 tackles, three and a half tackles for loss, had an interception that he returned for 52 yards for a touchdown. Uh, but the previous season, um, you know, 48 tackles, five and a half tackles for loss, five sacks, couple of interceptions as well. A guy who I think is a is a thumper coming down the hill, uh, downhill, has that sideline to sideline ability, can drop into coverage a little bit. Although I see some stiffness in his hips, you know, covering the tight ends out of the backfield. Uh, are covering the tight ends and the running backs out of the backfield, excuse me. But, you know, that's the same thing could have been said about Joe Schobert when he first came out of Wisconsin. But I, I think the athleticism is really, you know, is absolutely there. And again, you know, it's a big if, but if he, if he can stay, um, 
stay out of trouble, this could end up being a steal in round four. And I think he would definitely replace Joe Schobert. He has that type of athleticism. He has that type of skill. Um, so it'd be interesting to see you know, how those interviews really fared with, with some of the teams. Um, you know, he could very well end up moving into day two consideration, you know, in meaning the third round. Uh, but I think fourth round probably makes a lot of sense there for Cleveland. And, uh, you know, I, I think it just, it makes a ton of sense for me. Um, now Cleveland doesn't have a fifth round pick. They traded it away to Buffalo number 156 overall. So, you know, we won't be talking about the fifth round for them, but I, I think if, if Cleveland, can can obviously address the offensive line with a couple of those picks, get another weapon for Mayfield and address that defensive line uh, and obviously address that the middle linebacker position. You may have something there for, for the Browns. Um, you know, I think the, the future is, is still bright. It's not one of those. I'm not one that's going to necessarily say that, you know, um, you know, Baker Mayfield is, is a bust or anything like that. Look, Year three is usually you know a telltale sign for what you're going to get out of a quarterback. So really, this is a a, a make or break season I think for for Baker Mayfield. But Cleveland also has to give him a fair shake out of it too with the offensive line that's going to block for him. And you know if you get in Becton to team with with Jack Conklin, you shore up the interior of that line, and that's really where things are going to get going. You know, despite the the offensive line struggling, Nick Chubb still had a fantastic season, was among the top three in the league in in rushing. Um, so imagine what he could do behind an offensive line that's a lot more sound. Um, you know, it, it could be. Could be really interesting there in Cleveland. So we'll move on to Baltimore uh, with the league MVP, Lamar Jackson. And look, you know, what Lamar Jackson did uh, was just phenomenal. This was a guy who was just absolutely unstoppable, whether it was with his legs or with his arm, um, was just a talented, talented quarterback and, you know, unanimous MVP. Uh, no question there who was going to be the. Uh, the, the league's most valuable player. And so Baltimore, you know, they still ultimately didn't make it to the, uh, to the Super Bowl. ended up getting bounced out, um, you know, in the divisional round. And I, I think, you know, when you're looking at the Ravens, I think you have to, to really eyeball that, that defense, you know, a big, um, holdover is Matt Judon. You know, they, they, put the franchise tag on him. They were able to keep him at outside linebacker. He had a, ba- a big season a season ago. Um, but when you look at that team, um, you know, it, it's, man, you know, the, the uh, inside linebacker position, you know, uh, Patrick Wasser and, uh, um, you know, Josh Bynes both gone. They haven't really replaced anyone there. So I think they're really going to be looking at that interior, uh, the uh, inside linebacker position. Jalen Ferguson and, and Matt Judon there on the outside as rush ends, but they have no depth behind them. Um, you know, they did trade for uh, for Clayus Campbell, um, and uh, they signed Derek Wolf from from the Broncos. So they really have you know they're set up front with Brandon Williams playing the nose tackle. Um, you know, look Marcus Peters and Mar- uh, Marlon Humphrey at the cornerback position. Jimmy Smith, the veteran, um, on there. They have some other talented youngsters. Um, you know, and, and I think Earl Thomas at the free safety position. I think they're set there. Um, but defensively, I'm looking at at uh, you know, Baltimore, and I really think that they are going to go with an inside linebacker. And, uh, you know, I, I wrestled between, you know, Patrick Queen and, and Kenneth Murray. And at the end of the day, if Patrick Queen's off the board, I think Kenneth Murray is ultimately going to be your guy. Um, 
you know, I think Yitro Gross Matos could potentially be in, in there if you're looking for another outside linebacker. But, you know, the fact that they have Judon and you have Jalen Ferguson, a guy who, you know, can be more of that bull rusher coming off the edge, I think that allows them to ultimately focus on that interior linebacker position. You know, and really look, you know, inside linebacker, you know, they, they traded away CJ Mosley to the Jets before the season last year. Then they traded Kenny Young to the Rams in, in that deal that brought Marcus Peters over. Um, so I really think they have to focus on on that linebacker position. And, and when you talk about uh, Kenneth Murray, uh, the athleticism was, was you know allowed him to really fly around to the football there as a three down linebacker. Really a perfect match for what the Ravens want to do defensively. You know this is a guy who racked up over 300 tackles in three seasons at OU. Sideline to sideline speed, ability to penetrate the line of scrimmage, athleticism to run with any tight end in the league. You know. There's no doubt about that. Ran a 4-5-240 at the combine before a hamstring injury uh, ended his his day there. Um, makes plays behind the line of scrimmage, 36.5 tackles for loss. Showed he could rush the passer, finishing with 9.5 sacks. And also broke up six passes in coverage, so he can drop into coverage as well. Uh, mentioned that 4-5-240 at the combine, also a 38-inch vertical leap. Broad jump of 10 feet, 9 inches as well. Uh, that hamstring really, I think, was kind of lingering from... Um, that peach bowl where he was chasing after Joe Burrow fl- uh, flushed him from the pocket and ultimately had to pull up because that hamstring. And I think that's just kind of that lingering in uh, injury, even though it was a couple of months later, I think that's ultimately what uh, you know was still bothering him. Uh, and that's ultimately what flared up there. But I think he absolutely checks the box off. You know, he's the guy that you want to have coming off the bus, just looks like a chiseled uh, freak of nature. Um, and, and the athleticism absolutely allows him to be that playmaker, um, he does struggle with gap integrity against the run. Um, finds himself out of position a lot. Over over pursuing plays, giving up big yards in the process. I thought he he looked better. Um, this past season under Alex Grinch. Um, you know, his first couple of years there at OU just seemed to be out of position a lot. And teams would when they wanted to attack the OU defense, they would run up the gut. And really, you know, that was Kenneth Murray playing out of position. And, and you know, I, I thought he was really a lot more effective when, when Caleb Kelly came in and returned to play inside and allowed Murray to play outside where he could freely roam around and make plays in space. Uh, you know, allow him to quickly read and react, break on the football, shoot gaps downhill to disrupt run plays, can scrape over the top to meet running backs, off tackle, takes on blockers, stacking and shedding before wrapping up and, and really driving through the ball carrier as well. The lateral quickness is is off the charts. Uh, working inside out, beating the ball carrier to the perimeter. Uh, excellent spying the quarterback, showing off that speed once the quarterback breaks the pocket to get downhill, takes the proper angle, chasing down the passer. Um you know, I thought he played much more under control uh, under Alex Grinch in 2019 as well. Um, you know, and previously, you know, he he wouldn't really break down. You know, he wouldn't square himself to the ball carrier, and uh, ultimately would end up playing himself out. You know, and so I think that his ability to you know, I, I thought he was very coachable. It showed that he was coachable. He was able to uh, really progress and develop as a player. So I think some of the issues with the gap integrity, he could work with uh, a linebacker coach, I think, on the interior of that line. The athleticism, you know, is something that you just can't teach. Um, you know, he's somebody who just, you know, he reads the quarterback's eyes, makes quick reads, you know, really allows it to take him to the football, um, you know, reads the screens and pop passes, able to, to split some blocks on the perimeter, flies to the receiver, uh, keep him from allowing any yards after catch, 
ultra aggressive, you know, pinch for making plays, um, you know, that'll, that'll get him out of, out of position. It will get him fooled, take some poor angles as a result of that. You know, some of that lack of recognition at times, you know, you worry about his ability to play inside, as I mentioned, but you get him into that, that NFL, um, you know, linebacker room. And I think that's something that they can really work with. You know, he has a lot of the tools to be uh, an explosive linebacker at the next level. So I'm looking at round number two, and I mentioned the the outside linebacker position. If a guy like Terrell Lewis falls into their laps, you know he just looks like a Baltimore Ravens uh, linebacker. So why not pick the kid up there in round number two? Six five, two hundred two hundred sixty pounds, and uh, you know he he broke his leg in, in 2018, out for the year. Um, no, I'm sorry, I think he actually tore his his ACL, but uh, nevertheless. Uh, in 10 games in 2019, uh, 31 tackles, 11 and a half tackles for loss, six sacks. But the numbers don't just tell the whole story. This is a guy who was just so explosive. A lot of times he felt like a one-trick pony and, and was more of a situational pass rush guy. Wasn't a starter um, full-time there for, for Bama. But this is a guy who just always seemed to get home to the quarterback. So explosive off the edge. Linemen were having a hard time firing quick enough off the ball because this was a guy who was just getting by them. He would attack that outside shoulder, able to, to bend, dip, and rip, and come off the edge and really flatten out and pressure the quarterback in a hurry. He reminds me of a lot of uh, you know Ravens outside linebackers, and I think you bring him in, you know, allow him to be that situational pass rush guy, really learn and develop behind a guy like Mac Judon, who I thought you know really... Um, you know, he, he's now really hitting his stride and you saw him really progress year over year. If Terrell Lewis can do the same, I think that'd be a, a, a heck of a pickup there in, uh, in round number two. And, uh, that's actually, let's see, Baltimore picking at number 55 overall. It was a pick from new England. Um, you know, that's ultimately where they, they got that pick. So let's see their second pick pick and round number two is number 60 overall now Marshall Yonda is uh is retired you know it's one of those things I think you know kind of caught you off guard a little bit you know this was a guy just a perennial pro bowler um just a a model professional there at, at the guard position he's gone so now that he's gone that really leaves Bradley Bozeman as a lone guard uh on the roster with you know any experience they're, uh, you know, for, for the Ravens, they, they uh, have, you know, Parker uh, Ehringer there from, from uh, gosh, you know, he played in, in, in Kansas City, but, you know, there's not really a whole lot of depth behind them either, you know, and I think that's really a cause for concern. You have Patrick McCrary, he got some playing time, um, you know, the tackle out of Cal that they moved inside to guard. I think that's ultimately where he he fits best. You know, they have Matt Skura. Matt Skura is coming off of a, a leg injury as well at the center position. Um, I'm looking at at the guard position and I'm looking at Natane Mute. Um, you know, and Muti is a guy who is just so physical. He's a mauler. He wants to beat you up. Um, you know, chew you, chew you up, spit you out. You know, essentially, this is going to be a guy, a mauler, a road grader. Um, generates a ton of movement there. Uh, 6'3", 315 pounds. Um, you know, he he's battled injuries throughout his career. Had another ACL injury in 2019. But when he's healthy, you know, this guy is you know he he's he just generates a ton of movement. 
And that's really the thing that you see. He just, he beats guys up, generates a ton of movement. Reminds me of, of Will Hernandez when he was coming out of UTEP. Uh, just a guy who, you know, just wants to beat you up. You know, 44 reps at 225 in the bench press. So extremely strong as well. The big issue for him is going to be, can he stay healthy? Is he going to be a second rounder? Could he fall because of the injury history? That's really the biggest question. Are the medicals going to check out? This is a guy who's been injured every single year there. Uh, he's been at Fresno State, you know, coming out as a junior. Um, you know, that's the one part that I worry about with him is, is can he stay healthy? If he can, then, you know, I, I think he's somebody who um, can easily work into Baltimore starting lineup early. And, uh, you know, if you can get physical for, for Mark Ingram and, and Lamar Jackson, whoo, you know, that's, that's really going to be a lot of fun, especially when you have Orlando Brown and, and Ronnie Stanley playing the tackle positions. Um, so you move on to round number three, and uh, I mentioned that inside linebacker position, and I think this is where the Baltimore Ravens are going to double up. I, I, I really do. Um, so you know they're sitting at number ninety-two overall, and I'm looking at Jordan Brooks, six foot, two hundred forty-five pounds, out of Texas Tech, and, and this guy, you know, he's just he's just an athlete. He's a ball player. You know, he wore number one there at, at Texas uh, Texas Tech, and a guy that just flew around to the football. You know, that's one of the things that I thought was evident when you watched him play. Um, you know, over a hundred tackles in 2019, uh, you know, 20 tackles for loss, you really put everything together. This was a guy who was on the field a lot. He was a four year starter, um, averaged over 80 tackles, uh, again, uh, a season in his first three seasons. But, you know, in terms of those tackles for loss, you know, a guy that really wasn't known for making plays behind the line of scrimmage, just had 12 tackles for loss in his first three seasons, 20 as a senior, three sacks as well, um, you know, nearly equal the total uh, sacks in his first three seasons at three and a half. Um, you know, a guy, like I said, just flies around to the football, very instinctive player, plays plays incredibly fast as well. I think you put him alongside Kenneth Murray and you have a couple of really athletic linebackers and that's really what the Ravens want to get back to is have some of those athletic linebackers in that uh in that linebacking core in the middle of the line. You know, Brooks, you know, ran a 45440 at the combine as well. So when you're talking about the speed, you know, at that linebacker position coming into this draft, um you know, Jordan Brooks, you know, there were only a few guys that were faster than him. You know, you had, you know, what, Isaiah Simmons with this 439, uh, Willie Gay who we just mentioned, um, and, and Davion Taylor, you know, those were the three guys that ran sub four five. Uh, Patrick Queen, Bradley, uh, Sean Bradley out of Temple, uh, and Kenneth Murray, you know, who I already have going to the Raiders there, and then Jordan Brooks. You know, all of these guys ran sub four five five, and, and so if you get two of those linebackers, you get Murray and you get Brown. I, you know, it just it makes it makes too much sense for me. You know, you really need to get the future of that, that linebacking core, and you know, I, I think it's a match made in heaven. Um, so, looking at at the Ravens, there round number three, they've got another pick there, and uh, it's really at the bottom of round three. So, you know, if we are talking three days of the draft, this would be the end of day number two, number one hundred six overall, compensatory selection, and I'm looking at that receiver position. You know, and you may be asking why, because, you know, there's Marquise Brown on the roster, Miles Boykin, um, you know, another tremendous athlete on the outside. But after that, there's Willie Sneed, uh, Jaleel Scott really hasn't gotten anything going. Chris Moore, kind of an up and down athlete. Um, you know, DeAndre, uh, I'm sorry, DeAnthony Thomas, a smaller 
uh, type wide receiver there. I think what they really need to do is get a big bodied receiver, get a big dude out there on the outside. Um, you know, you've got Mark Andrews, Nick Boyle at the tight end position as well, but give Lamar Jackson a big physical wide receiver on the outside. And how about Antonio Gandy golden out of Liberty? You know, this guy is, is a monster. He's 6'4", 223 pounds, uh, you know, ran a 4'6", 40. Um, so the straight ahead speed, not all that impressive, but, you know, repped out 225, 22 times, still had a 36-inch vertical leap. So there is some lower body explosiveness, very physical as well. And, and I think what you see with him is um, the, the catch radius. His catch radius is huge. Just put the ball anywhere near this guy. He's going to extend for the football. He's a hands catcher. He's a natural pass catcher. Looks very comfortable. If you saw him uh, run the gauntlet, a guy who just looked very smooth, easy pass catcher. And it's one of those things to where you don't have to just hit him in the frame. There are a lot of guys who, if you throw the ball anywhere off of his frame, he's not able to adjust to that football. Antonio Candy Golden, he's a big dude, but AGG uh, can absolutely adjust to that football in the air. And, and it's one of those things, what's you know poetry in motion is, is him out there uh, along the sideline. The ability to extend for the football, a lot of times being put away from the defensive back, out of bounds. And here's a guy who can fully extend, keep his toes inbounds and be able to fully extend for that football and make the catch. Uh, you know, Gandy Golden there at Liberty um, really took off under Hugh Freeze. I'm a, a huge fan of his. Um, I, I think he's a guy that, um, you know, third round, he could, it's another thing with that receiving core. Should he be a second rounder? Absolutely. I have him in my top 10 in terms of the receivers. And, uh, you know, look, you know, went over a thousand yards in both seasons with Liberty, showed up to the to the Flames there as a as a junior. As a senior, uh, in, in 13 games, 79 catches, 1,396 yards, at 17.7 yards per reception and 10 touchdowns. You know, back-to-back season with 10 touchdowns as well. Um, so a guy who is extremely productive, big physical receiver. That fits exactly what I was talking about, what Baltimore's uh, receiving core needs. So they get that at the end of round number three. So we're looking at round number four. And and round number four, their first pick, you know, they've got they've got quite a few picks in round four. And first pick is number 129, again from New England. And uh, I'm looking at that safety position. And the reason being is you've got uh, Earl Thomas at the free safety position, but you know who's going to play strong safety right now? Chuck Clark is penciled in there, but I think he could probably do better there at that position. And uh, I'm looking at uh, Antoine Brooks Jr. out of uh, Maryland. Now Antoine Brooks, you know, at the combine measured in 5'11", 220 pounds, ran a four six four forty. Um, you know, a guy who is going to be that physical presence on the back end of your defense. You know, I think there is some stiffness to his game. You know, so I, I don't think he's going to be somebody that you're going to be counting on to line up in the slot. When you got a guy like Earl Thomas, you don't really have to worry about that as much. Um, but again, a guy who can play in the box and be another physical uh, linebacker, if you will, there uh, in the box. Uh, 27 and a half tackles for loss in his career. Uh, four interceptions, nine pass breakups uh, to go along with 237 tackles. Really in three seasons there with the Terps. Uh, I think he's a guy who can come in, challenge Chuck Clark for that starting position, and probably be a guy who's going to end up winning that that spot when it's all said and done. Look, you know, Darnell Savage coming from Maryland. You have An- uh, Antoine Brooks coming from Maryland as well. I think it's really a nice fit. And, uh, you know, I 
saw this early on as 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 really a, a nice target, and I think that's where they're going to go. So I'm looking at at that defensive end, and really you know that the defensive line. You know, Calais Campbell uh, was traded to them from from the Jaguars, and you know I look at Calais Campbell, and you know really not only one of the best defensive ends in all of college football, but probably one of the best people in the draft as well. You know, this is a guy who does a lot for his community. Um, so it was kind of sad to see him leave Jacksonville for that reason. But, um, you know, 33 years of age, he'll be under contract for one more season. Um, so you, you do have to be mindful of that. Um, you know, how long is he going to stick stick around? Derek Wolf, 30 years of age, just signed a one-year, $3 million contract. There's not a lot of depth behind the two of them. So I'm looking at defensive end, and I really think this is where Baltimore gets to double up. So in round number four, uh, let's see, uh, pick number 134, I'm looking at Rashard Lawrence out of LSU, 6'2", 308. Um, you know, this is a guy who likes to get up the field, um, not overly athletic. You know, he's he's on the shorter side that you'd like to have at uh, uh, at the three technique, um, but but a guy who just always seems to make plays. You know, this is a guy who isn't going to be flashy, but a guy that you want to have on your roster because he's somebody who uh, can affect both the pass and the rush. Um, 20 and a half tackles for loss, nine sacks in his career, seven pass breakups as well. You know, a guy who just gets a good push, you know, gets a good push up the field. And, and if you're not careful, yeah, he's going to make some plays behind the line of scrimmage. Um, you have to really know where he is on the field at all times. And uh, then you, you move on from him at number 143 overall. Interesting, 134, now 143, a compensatory selection. I'm looking at Nick Coe out of Auburn, 6'5", 280 pounds. Really weird that he lined up at, uh, at the linebacker position at the combine because uh, Nick Coe really uh, is a, 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 a really a 3-4 uh, defensive end. He's a 5 technique. Um, so I thought that was, that was interesting. But I'm looking at Nick Coe and, uh, yeah, at the combine – Let's see, ran a, where'd he go? Oh, I sorted, oh, there we are. Yeah, ran a 4.8940, so that was, there's only one linebacker that was slower than him at the combine there with that, so ran that 4.89. Would have liked to have seen him run with a defensive lineman because that 4.89 among that group, um, you know, that would actually put him in the in the top 20 in that group. Um, so, and really, when you're talking about uh, defensive tackles, yeah, and he, he's one of those guys that can translate. At, you know, he is a three-four defensive end, but more of a of a tackle type, um, you know, a bigger bigger guy than you're really seeing that speed. You know, Jason Strobridge ran a four-eight-nine. Um, you know, Ross Black, Blacklock ran a four-nine forty. Uh, Robert Windsor with a four-nine. Um, you know, you know, Matabuke, uh, Matabuke ran a four, eight, three, Justin Matabuke out of, uh, Texas A&M. Uh, you know, obviously Neville Gallimore ran, ran the four, seven, nine and Khalil Davis ran a four, seven, five, but there weren't too many guys, his size running that fast at the combine. Um, and, and so Nick Coe though, kind of, you know, this is a guy who there's more potential than, there really was production. I thought as a as a sophomore, really had a breakout year. Uh, Thirteen and a half tackles for loss, seven sacks, but uh, you know played in just nine games. Twenty nineteen also played in nine games, um, but really was kind of an afterthought. Didn't really see the field a whole lot, especially you know when he's playing behind the likes of uh, uh, of Marlon Davidson. But on the opposite side, he couldn't beat out uh, Big Cat Bryant. 
So there is definitely some concern there, but I, I think the athleticism is there. And at the round number four, at the end of round number four, I think that's probably the right right slot for Nick Coe. He could slide into round number five just because of the lack of production and you know really he has to answer the question why wasn't he out on the football field yes there's a lot of talent there at, at, at Auburn but man if you're going to play in the NFL you've got to be able to make make it out onto the football field and you can if you can't make it out onto the field you know on your own college team what makes you expect that you can get out onto the field in the NFL I still think there's enough athleticism there um, to bring him in and uh, you know round number four you know kind of makes some sense for me so I think that's ultimately what's going to end up happening. And then round number five, you know, for, for Baltimore, I mentioned uh, Matt Skura and, and his health. Uh, you know, Baltimore sitting there at 158 overall. They got the pick from Atlanta. And, uh, you know, I, I worry a little bit about, about Matt Skura and, uh, and his health. He actually had a decent season. Um, you know, he's in the last year of his deal, uh, his deal really an ugly leg injury uh, during week 12. So I think you need to find somebody who, you know, if they don't go with Cesar Ruiz, you know, and that's one of the things we haven't talked about yet. Um, Kenneth Murray could potentially be off the board. They may be turned off by the fact that he looks more like an outside linebacker than an inside backer at this point. Um, tremendous, you know, looked a lot better when Caleb Kelly came in and manned the inside, allowing him to roam free on the back end. Um, so they could go with a, a guard center combo guy like Cesar Ruiz out of Michigan, who I think is the best interior lineman in this draft, that's entirely possible. I wouldn't rule it out, but if they don't go that direction, I think they can wait until round number five and get a very serviceable center in, in Jake Hansen. 6'4", 303, a guy over 40 starts in his career with the Ducks. Very intelligent guy. You know, not the most athletic offensive lineman I think there is some limitation you know there are some limitations there his lateral agility is lacking a little bit um you know got beaten sometimes off the ball uh as well but when you look at Hanson you know, yeah you know that, that definitely showed the 5 5 40 but look you know he's not going to really be running you know uh you know 40 times there at the interior line position uh but 33 reps in the bench press so he absolutely is able to uh, you know, manhandle some guys at the point of attack. And that's really what you saw there out of the Ducks offensive line, period. So when you're looking at the Ducks, you know, and you're talking about guys like Shane Lemieux and, and Calvin Throckmorton, you know, guys who may not be the best athlete in the world, but they're going to be technically sound. They're coached by Mario Cristobal himself, a, a former offensive lineman, and they're really tough. And that's one of the things that I think I look at, at, at Jake Hansen, especially you know, with, with what the Ravens want to do. I think, this is a guy who could end up working his way not only onto the roster, but could end up being a starter for them, especially if Matt Skura cannot go. Um, so that's really what I have there in round number five. I think some people have Hanson coming off the board in six or seven. I think he's somebody because of his toughness, because of the way that he was coached, because of you know he is technically sound. I think he can get a, a shot there in round number five. So we're done with Baltimore, and we're moving on to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, now the Steelers again. They they traded away their their first round pick to Miami as part of the the Minka Fitzpatrick deal. Um, but you're looking at them in in round number two. They can go in a few different directions. I'm actually going with a little bit of a curveball. You know, I'm looking at more kind of a, a best player available that could potentially be on their board. And, and I'm looking at that receiver position. You know, they have Juju Smith Schuster. There, there's James uh, Washington on the roster, Deontay Johnson who could play in the slot, Ryan Switzer, another slot type guy. They need a 
big physical dude, you know, and, and guy who's a pretty good athlete too. And, uh, you know, James Washington, I think could potentially be that complimentary guy for Juju, but I thought Juju's, um, you know, overall his production dropped with the absence of, uh, Antonio Brown. And I'm looking at Chase Claypool. I mean, if you look at this guy at Notre Dame, I don't know what they feed these receivers at Notre Dame after miles Boykin, what he did at the combine, I was like, there's no way chase Claypool is going to do this. He should be a tight end. There's no way that we're going to see, see the same type of production. What does Claypool do measuring at six, four, 238 pounds runs a four, four, two 40, 40 and a half inch vertical leap, you know, just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, the type of athleticism that he was displaying. And look, he could still end up bulking up and being a tight end. I mean, they have Eric Ebron and Vance, uh, Vance McDonald on the roster, but you get another big physical dude uh, there on, on the outside and a guy that can run that fast. You know, we see what DK Metcalf was able to do for Seattle. You bring in Claypool, there's some people talking about Claypool being a first-round pick. I don't know that I would go quite that far just yet. Um, but there's no doubt, you know, he can be a red zone nightmare, a guy that, that makes plays on the outside as, as well. Uh, a guy who can get vertical, can get behind defenses. Um, you know, in his first year without miles Boykin there, um, 66 receptions over a thousand yards, 13 touchdowns, 15.7 yards per reception as well. You know, a guy who, um, you know, has a tremendous catch radius, you know, very reliable hands, you know, a guy that doesn't really have an issue with drops, very natural pass catcher, you know, brings that basketball mentality as well. You know, is basketball on, on the a football field. Is he going to ultimately be a, you know, be a Pittsburgh Steeler? You know, I, I think, you know, the fact that he has that tight end type build, you know, um, I'm looking at, you know, the Raiders with, with Darren Waller, a team that really wants to find another tight end like that. Pittsburgh may not be the answer, but I started looking at their roster, started looking at, you know, what they could do. And really with the production of Juju Smith-Schuster, they don't have really this big physical receiver on the outside. And this hulking presence of, of, of Chase Claypool just seemed to make some sense. So that's ultimately why I, I went with that move. Um, you know, a lot of people may disagree with that, but you know, I, I think it could end up working working out really well for for Mason Rudolph uh, there uh, at the quarterback position. You know, uh, moving on to to round number three, and and Pittsburgh actually had them at one time taking uh, Curtis Weaver in round number two. I think Weaver's stock is kind of dropping a little bit. Uh, didn't perform at the uh, at the combine. And I think that kind of hurt him a little bit in terms of his draft stock because when you look at the uh, the linebacking core, they have T.J. Watt and they have Bud Dupree and they have little else at that outside linebacker position. Bud Dupree also, they had to use a franchise tag on him. So you worry about uh, how long he's going to be sticking around. And how about a guy like Jonathan Greenard you know, out of Florida? Um you know, a, a guy who was a transfer started started out his career at at Louisville, um, and in in 2017, 15 and a half tackles for loss, seven sacks, had the devastating injury in 2018, uh, but comes back to Florida, uh, 53 tackles, 16 going for loss, 10 sacks, four pass breakups, three forced fumbles. A guy who you know has a nice burst coming off the edge, really works hard to get to the quarterback. I think you know he he attacks that outside shoulder, does a really good job bending, coming off the edge, getting you know getting low off that pad uh, the, the pad level. Uses his hands really well. He has a nice uh, chop and rip. Um, also uses a club coming off the edge as well. 
Um, you know, a, a guy who I think can uh, rush the passer on the inside a little bit, you know, especially if an offensive tackle is going to overset on him. Um, ran a four eight seven at the at, at uh at the combine. Not the fastest at all, but you know, six three, two hundred sixty three pounds. Ended up. Uh, you know, 30 and a half inch vertical leap, but you look at the three cone drill, ran a seven one three three cone drill. And when you're talking about the prospects, there's only one guy that was faster, and that was Derek Tuska out of uh, North Dakota State, ran an insane six eight seven in that three cone drill. What you see with the three cone drill, you know, can he sink sink his hips? Can he really explode? Um, and that's one of the things that I think he can definitely do. He can change directions, explode coming off the edge. I think that'd be a nice pickup there. And if ultimately Bud Dupree ends up leaving after 2020, you could potentially have a guy that could step in and be a starter there opposite TJ Watt. Um, Pittsburgh round number four. Um, I think the interior uh, of that linebacking core also needs to be addressed as well. You know, inside linebackers, they have Devin Bush, Vince Williams. You know, I think there's kind of a question mark there with him. One of my favorite players, um, you know, in any draft, Ulysses Gilbert uh, is sitting there on the roster as well. He's more of a, um, a special teams guy, although I'd love to see him get a shot um, because he's a guy that, you know, if you want him to line up over the slot, he's got a tremendous athleticism. He can, cover slot receivers. He did that at Akron. Um, a guy who could rush the passer, volume tackler playing sideline to sideline. I think he's got some skill, and uh, I hope he gets a chance to, to showcase that there in Pittsburgh. But uh, when you're looking at the inside linebacker position, uh, you know Vince Williams, um, under contract. He's 30 years of age now, uh, under contract through 2021. Um, but again, no real depth behind them. You know, You have, like I said, you have Gilbert, um, you know, was drafted in the sixth round a year ago. Is he going to be the answer? You know, I think he's one of those guys. He's kind of undersized, much like Devin Bush is. You know, I'm not really sure how all of that is going to play out right now. So I had to think about things and think about you know someone that you can bring in and really be a a presence out there. And I'm looking at Marcus Bailey out of Purdue. And Marcus Bailey, look, you know, a guy who, you know, I was expecting to have a huge year and unfortunately injury kind of cut things out for him. And, uh, Bailey measured in six foot, 235 pounds. But as I said, you know, injury cut his, his season short. And if I can get his stats pulled up here, I had just had him up. Um, let's see. So here we go. In 2018, Jeff Brom and the Purdue Boilermakers, uh, you know, really having that that breakout year. Tyler Trent, and they beat Ohio State, and really the leader of that defense was, in fact, Marcus Bailey. Uh, You know, 115 tackles that season, nine tackles for loss, six and a half sacks, um, had a pick. Look, as as a redshirt freshman, had four interceptions, 97 tackles. Um, you know, only played in two games this, this year, you know, battling injury. Um, but look, 324 tackles in his career, um, you know, a big season from a tackle standpoint, he possibly could have ended up with, with 400 tackles in his career, uh, 28 tackles for loss, 14 and a half sacks. So he knows how to get after the quarterback, six interceptions, six pass breakups, you know, a guy who could do a little bit of everything. He could be a three down linebacker. He really feels a lot like, like a new, uh, new England type linebacker. You know, and he reminds me a lot of, of Jawan Bentley, 
um, who was a Purdue linebacker that ultimately went to uh, New England. And I'm looking at Marcus Bailey, and I'm looking at that that, that Steelers linebacking core, and uh, I still feel like he can end up in, in New England, and that could potentially be where um, you know some of my mock drafts uh, towards the end of the year um, – you know, before well, I should say before the the end of these these three weeks, I could potentially adjust him and find a, a home for him in New England. But you know, I, I think the Steelers, what they want to do, getting another athletic uh, linebacker, um, I, I think it does make some sense. You saw them bring in Ulysses Gilbert, who has some of that ability as well. Um, I think it would just be a nice blend, a nice fit. Um, and I think he can push Vince Williams for playing time. Again, as long as he can stay healthy, I think he he definitely would have a home there at the next level. And then uh, offensive line in round number four. I think you got to protect Mason Rudolph. Um, you got to protect that that quarterback. This is a guy you know who you know Devlin Hodges is his backup. I think you know Pittsburgh could very well end up looking for a quarterback at some point in the draft. I wouldn't rule that out. Um, but I'm looking at at this this roster and I'm looking at you know Matt Filer is the right tackle um he's penciled in to be the starter um and he's signed just through this season so I'm looking at Filer and there's really nobody else there on the right side you know obviously at, at right at left tackle you've got Alejandro Villanueva um you have uh, Chuko uh Akora for the the West Virginia I'm sorry the Western Michigan product um, they're over at left tackle as well. He could potentially slide over to right tackle. Uh, Zach Banner, a guy that plays all over the line, he's also on the roster. Derwin Gray, really, I feel that he's more of a guard. Uh, Derwin Gray is, um, but he's penciled in as a potential tackle as well. But I, I really think they need to look offensive tackle as somebody that can really challenge Matt Filer and potentially end up taking over for him if he ends up leaving. And I'm looking at Ben Barch out of uh, St. Uh, St. John's in Minnesota. This is a guy who I initially had coming off the board in round number three, and I think that's still possibly uh, you know where he could end up going. 6'6", 309, and if you watched him in, in the postseason, he looked like he belonged. You know, he was one of those guys that really lined up in those, those one-on-one drills and showed some physicality, showed some good footwork, and, and a guy who you know, he's coming from a Division three school and I think he has a chance to not only make a roster, but can be a starter early on in his career. And looking at him in round number four, going to the Steelers, um, if he doesn't go in round number three, I think you know th- this does make a lot of sense for Pittsburgh to really jump on getting a tackle like this. You know, one thirty-five overall, the pick that they got from Tennessee. Um, you know, I, I'd really like to see that happen. Um, you know, for for Pittsburgh getting that that offensive tackle, and I'd be really happy for for Ben Barch uh, to come off the board early day three, if at all possible. So that's really what I have for the AFC North. Um, you know, I, I think there, there's a lot of room for optimism. You know, I, I think Cincinnati bringing in Joe Burrow um, and really seeing what they can do. With uh, with Zach Taylor, I think Baker Mayfield getting some of that protection up front. That's really what I'm excited about more than anything else. Um, because frankly, they didn't give that defense much of a shot. You know, a lot of times that offense was having to put the defense back out onto the field. Just a tired defense is not going to be a very effective defense. Um, Baltimore, you know, I, I you know if they can address that that defense a little bit um, to run with. Uh, Lamar Jackson, they're going to be scary in that division. And then the Pittsburgh Steelers, 
you know, look, you know, just whenever anyone counts them out, you know, Mike Tomlin really finds things. And I mentioned Mason Rudolph and and being that guy to, to throw to, to Chase Claypool. Remember, Ben Roethlisberger is still on the roster. And if Big Ben's healthy, it's going to be his team. I'm thinking more, and when I talk about Mason being the quarterback, I'm thinking more down the road and, and long term. Um, you know, Ben, the the last of the, the, the three quarterbacks, you know, Eli Manning, has retired. Philip Rivers has moved on from the Chargers. He's in, in Indianapolis, but how many more years does he have to go? So Ben Roethlisberger, you know, the last of that trio to really um, still be hanging around um, on his, you know, the same franchise. And I, I think he'll be the quarterback there as long as he can stay healthy and for as long as he really wants to play. I think Mike Tomlin will allow that to happen. Um, you know, Mason Rudolph, I think he does need to get a fair shake there. Um, you know, you lose some guys when you lose Le'Veon Bell, you lose a guy like AB, um, you're losing some of those tools and, uh, you know, you're going to, you're bound to struggle a little bit. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how the Steelers rebound in, uh, in 2020 with big Ben at the helm. But, uh, I think you can get some additional pieces there, um, you know, both on offense and defense to really, uh, help them make a push. So that is it for episode 28 of the Ready for the Draft uh, 2020 podcast series. Uh, next uh, podcast, we're going to go ahead and get another one released here in the next couple of days. Um, we're going to go ahead and t- take a look at the NFC South. So NFC South, Carolina, you know, you've got Matt Rule going in there. You're seeing him dra- you know, bring in a lot of uh, Temple guys and free agency. You know, you figure he'll probably be eyeing Baylor a little bit as well. Um Nobody in round number one from either of those schools, um, but Matt Rule really uh, looking to, I guess, retool, restock, and rebuild uh, in Carolina. I think defensive tackle, if Isaiah Simmons is on the board, I think they have to take Simmons to really replace Luke Keekley. With him off the board, I think Derek Brown makes a ton of sense going to Carolina. Um, you know, if we continue to move along there, Tampa Bay. You gotta protect the goat. You gotta protect Tom Brady. You know, if Brady has a say in who's gonna be on the roster, I think he's looking at that offensive line and says, "I need an upgrade on my offensive line stat." And uh, so I think you know Tristan Wirfs, potentially you know, Andrew Thomas, whoever that uh, that number three, number four tackle in that group. Um, you know, I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, there. You know more than likely to play right tackle opposite uh, Donovan Smith. Um, you know, Atlanta, you know, this is another team that looks like they're in a state of rebuild. You know, a lot of guys let go and release. I think they still need to address the pass rush. Uh, you know, Vic Beasley's gone. Um, Kalevin Chason, you know, fits what, what Dan Quinn and Tom, Thomas Dimitros, it really fits that mold. Um, that makes a ton of sense to get one of the better pass rushers in this year's draft. Um, you know, so I think that definitely has to make a ton of sense for them. And then finally, the New Orleans Saints. And we talked about them a little bit already. I think they need to find some additional weapons there for Drew Brees. I think addressing some of the, the holes there uh, defensively is a must you know, offensive line, they, they have Andrews Pete coming back. Um, you know, what's going to happen there up front for them. Um, 
you know, there, there, there's some, a few question marks, but I, I don't think there are as many holes to, to the Saints uh, roster as there are for the uh, other three teams in the division. So I think the Saints still going to be the, the favorite to come out of the uh, NFC South. Even with Tom Brady on the roster there in Tampa Bay, I think they've got to shore up that offensive line. They got to fix the defense, defensive woes a little bit. Um, you know, Tom Brady, I think we're really talking more about 2021, really seeing Tampa Bay uh, move on. But you know what? You know, I can very, I've been wrong before. I've, I'll be wrong again. You know, don't count out Bruce Arians. Don't count out the GOAT. You know, at the end of the day, Tom Brady's done more with less. And, uh, you know, when you got Mike Evans and you've got, uh, you know, Chris Godwin, you know, as receivers out there and you've got, uh, you know, a tight end like, like OJ Howard, can't forget Cameron Braid as well. Uh, Ronald Jones as the running back, you know, who knows, who knows if you can protect him, then, then you got a chance. So, uh, that's what we're going to take a look at in, in in the next couple of days. And then after that, we'll, we'll look at the, uh, the AFC South as well. And then I promise shortly after that, we'll get into the NFC and AFC West. We go from basically moving from the the East Coast to the West Coast with this uh, free agency look by division and really how that is is, uh, impacting the draft overall. So I hope you've enjoyed the content. I hope you've enjoyed the the ride. Um, I can't believe the draft is just a few few weeks away, April 1st and (laughs) You know the the draft on April twenty third. You know unless something changes with with uh, COVID nineteen and everything. You know I, I think we're expecting the the draft to go ahead and kick off on April twenty third. I'm as you know I'm excited to see what they do with this league. You know with the with the draft what the league does. Um, you know and you know until then I'm going to try to bring as many podcasts as I can. Really take a look at you know position by position. That's what we'll do next. And we'll take a look at my final mock draft right before the. Uh, the, the draft itself, and then we'll obviously do a, a post-draft coverage. Really take a look at each team, who they brought in, you know, where they went right, where they went wrong, how it all is going to play out uh, from a roster standpoint, and what to expect in that 2020 uh, NFL season. So, uh, you know, until until next time, um, you know, stay safe, everyone. Make sure you wash your hands, uh, practice your social distancing. And uh, hopefully this has been a little bit of a, a, a you know, relief for you, you know, an avenue where you can just take your mind off of things for a little bit. And, uh, you know, if, if you've enjoyed the content, please come back, listen again. Uh, for readyforthedraft.com, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Take care, everyone, and I am out of here. <laughs>